welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us today. If you hear birds in the background, that's because it's nice out and I'm recording outside. So sound quality might be less, but you get birds. So that's a bonus. Katie, what is happening on the farm these days? Spring has sprung. So I'm going to San Francisco for a week for work on Monday. The weather in Iowa has been shitty for, I don't know, eight months or something horrible now. It's just been god awful. It's rained like every day for the last three months or something. I don't know. It's muddy. It's cold. It's disgusting. It's like 50 today. It's going to rain later. Next week in Iowa, it's supposed to be uh, 76 to 78 degrees and sunny every day that I'm gone. So I hope Jim has fun doing field work. Because in California, it's supposed to be 62 and raining every day I'm there. So it'll be just like being at home, except with jet lag and sushi. And uh, my big goal is that he will get all the field work done while I'm gone. That is my, my big hope, knock on wood. Other than that, the, the pup date, she's growing fast. She managed to take all the clothes off one of the girl child's dolls the other day without hurting the clothing or the doll, which I'm very impressed by. Arlene, how are things at your house? Wait, we still need a lambing update. It's been a couple of weeks since we did an update. Are you done? Lambing update, I think there is one more to go, perhaps. I don't know if we're sure that she's bred or settled, so... Or it might just be like another six weeks and she'll pop out some lambs, but we are functionally sure. done lambing. That's good. And one more question for you. How yeah. does everyone feel about you being gone and not being responsible for your children for a whole week? Are you stressed? Are they stressed? Or is everyone good? I will say so. Our company mascot, I thought this was funny. Our company mascot is a octocat who is you know, the, the story is that she's a cat who is at the beach in San Francisco with her kittens and was like bitten by a radioactive octopus or something. And she grew octopus arms and, you know. It's a very elaborate uh, story for a mascot. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of things are legal in California that are not legal in Iowa. Let's just put it that way. Right. So I was the girl child has Pomona, the octocat stuffed toy. We all have octocat shirts, et cetera. And I told her I worked with Mona and she insisted I don't. And one of my coworkers offered to find and wear an Octocat costume specifically for the purposes of proving my five-year-old wrong, which- Take is that. I, yeah. Take <laughs> Your that mother does not lie to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is why I, I so much, I mean, I also generally enjoy the folks I work with, but the fact that they're ready to- do ridiculous shit to prove my five-year-old wrong is just that much better. Generally, my mom will be here helping with the kids. I don't think anybody's really too worried about it, hopefully. Um, I have non-refundable plane tickets, so it's a little bit too late now. Yeah, you gotta I, go. Uh, I will admit that I'm pretty excited to not have anyone asking me for anything for a week who's not, you know, paying me for the opportunity to ask me for shit. I'm pretty, pretty stoked about that. 
that would be pretty exciting. And we're apparently going to play mini golf at a food truck park, which is about as much sports ball as I can handle and involves a food truck park. So it sounds pretty good to me, even if it is raining. Yeah, that sounds like an ideal activity. Yeah. How are things at your house, Arlene? Things are good. It is feeling spring-like here as well, and some work is getting done out in the the fields. The big update in the last couple of weeks is that the first non-Holstein animal or in our barn arrived recently. My oldest daughter, my daughter, who is my oldest, decided that she wanted to show a jersey for 4-H this year. So through a friend, we arranged a loaner program. So she gets to borrow the calf for the show season. And then in exchange, she'll be working for this uh, farmer at some of her Jersey shows during the summer. So she will go and help her. And she gets to borrow a fancy Jersey calf for the summer season. So she's been working with her a lot and she's super cute. And her name is Peach, which is also adorable. So I will uh, be sure to post a picture of her sweet face someday. I love that this is like teen farm kid rebellion. Like I'll show them, I'll bring home a jersey. Hot. <laughs> well, we Hot. mentioned it to a we mentioned it to a neighbor the other day, and he said, "Oh, Grandpa Hunter would be rolling in his grave <laughs> knowing that there was a jersey on the property." And I will admit that Grandma Hunter, who is ninety-seven, is. Uh, perplexed she just doesn't under she's asked a few times but, but why why would you want to do that what is what is the purpose of this now i am a little curious about how things are going to go at the end of the show season when she's been working with this animal for months and it has to go back but the bonus is that it resides at a farm that is close to where she wants to go to university in a year and a bit so maybe if that's where she does end up then they'll be they'll still be neighbors so it, it wouldn't be the worst thing so what and, I'm hearing uh, you say is she's going to end up buying this thing and it'll just be super <laughs> unheard. Possibly. Well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I feel like they might, might get pretty attached to each other. And well, you know, there's, there's kids that take their horses to college. So maybe she can just take her cow to college with her. Yeah. She can maybe get some weekend work milking cows at this, this woman's farm. So it might work out both directions. And this weekend is Mother's Day, Katie. Our episode will come out the day after. So are you flying on Mother's Day or will you actually be home on Mother's Day? I'll be home on Mother's Day. I'm not, I'm trying to think of how to say this without sounding negative towards my husband. <laughs> Our moms should get Mother's Day, anniversaries, birthdays, all that rescheduled at a time of their choosing I'm, I'm doing lots of nodding here. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Winter, rainy days, those that special day in between like planting and hay where nothing's actually happening. So it's nice out, but they don't have anything extra to do. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. It's supposed to be beautiful and sunny this weekend. And every other mother is probably like, oh, it's perfect. We could go for a hike. We can eat on a patio. We can do something together outside as a family. And I'm thinking, no, <laughs> it's yeah, and it's just like <laughs> mother's day somewhere and do something. You feel bad because you know you should be at home working, and yeah. it's not yeah, just that's right. a, you know. Oh, my husband should be working. I have shit to do too. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's that. Uh, yeah, yeah. That neither of us have anything to do. It's yeah. There's yeah. there's stuff but to get done. If, if you don't do anything, then it's like, well, shit. You know. 
cool. One more thing ruined. Yes. Um, also, I will say my farm mom request for Mother's Day. We'll see if it happens. Hopefully it does. My husband is pretty good at making uh, about fulfilling my my requests because I don't have too many of them. Is that I wanted to get the minivan detailed because it's spring and that thing is so gross inside with all the salt and mud and stuff that's got cracked into it. So hopefully I will have a uh, shiny clean van someday, which will just get dirty again, but it'll feel nice for a little while. Yeah, that's what the farm moms in your life really want. They want coffee and they want their cars cleaned. That's, I'm just gonna speak for all of us. That's what we want. Yeah, that, that, that's Maybe it. Maybe new work boots. <laughs> Maybe a bottle of wine. Yeah. Our, our list is getting longer, but yeah, we are simple needs, simple needs. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I too, we got married on my birthday, which is about a week after Mother's Day. So it's sort of a cluster of. That is bad planning too. You definitely should get to reschedule. Yeah. You know, it just kind of worked out that way. And we didn't have kids at the time. So I didn't really think about the Mother's Day thing. And you know now it's the the trifecta of holidays yeah which all in one is fine but yeah it's a little bit of a yeah like <laughs> and it is one of those things too that like even if you don't care the fact that everybody else is doing something special and you're not is kind of like meh you know meh <laughs> all right Spend let's move on the sheep. To... I'm just over here meh <laughs> Yeah, let's move on to a special springtime guest. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again here on Barnyard Language. We are excited to be talking to Karen Velez, a fellow podcaster and farmer from Missouri. Karen hosts the Just Grow Something podcast and is here today to talk about gardening with children, as well as telling us more about her and her farm. So Karen, we start each of our interviews with the same question as a way to introduce yourself to our listeners. So we ask, what are you growing? So this can cover crops, families, businesses, and I expect this might take you a little bit longer to answer than some of our guests. So here goes, Karen, what are you growing? That's a good point. Everything. So right now there's probably, I don't know, 4,000, probably maybe closer to 6,500 seedlings in the greenhouse that are waiting to go out into the gardens because it's just, it's been too cold. All of the cool season stuff is already out there. So all the broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, you know, kale, um, onions, all that stuff is, is already out in the garden. So we're also, I guess, growing a podcast and growing a side hustle, which is the garden consulting that goes along with the, the podcast. So here locally and virtually, which is kind of cool. And then, you know, growing relationships right now. I'm, I've gotten myself into some new kind of circles that I wasn't in before between my running and now the podcasting. And so I'm getting to meet a whole bunch of new people and I'm growing those relationships, which is super fun to me right now, especially after being a little bit isolated from, you know, the last two years worth of stuff. So I was, I am an extrovert. And so this is, this is kind of fun for me. So. And I see you also have uh, a few creatures too. I saw an, uh, an escaped mule on your uh, social media. So I think there's also some livestock in there that you're growing. There is. Yep. We raise, we raise hogs for, for meat and then we raise chickens for their eggs. And then I have two horses and a mule who is a 
pain in my butt. And uh, of course, the you know myriad of of cats and uh, the one the one dog left. We used to have a ton. Now we're down to down to one. All the kids. I am no longer growing the kids. The kids are as adult as they're going to be. And, and, and so they've been booted from the nest and, you know, I guess you never really stop growing them, but they're a little bit more on their own now. So how many of them are there? We're, uh, we're still in the age, we're in the stage where uh, everybody's oh, yeah, in yeah, our yeah. Houses, Six so. and they're, <laughs> yeah, so they're ranging from, I always have to think like, what year is this? How, how old are they now? The youngest is 21, no. 28, 22, 23. Crap, I can't even remember anymore. And the in oldest, just, yeah, somewhere around there. Early 20s to early 30s. They're they're spread all over the place. So, and now they're giving me grandkids. So that's, you know, that's, that's the next thing I have to count. Like how many grandkids do I have? So, yeah. That's exciting. It's a good problem to have. So Karen, are these medals behind you or beer caps? I can't see well enough to see <laughs> Either way. I mean, it could be. Know. It could be either. No, those are medals. I took up run. Yeah, I took up running. I know you're going to think that's absolutely crazy, but I took up running a couple of years ago as a way to sort of bounce back from some chronic illness and stuff and to rebuild my bone density. And it was nothing, nothing that I enjoyed to start with, even after you know, spending years in the Marine Corps and you know, you ran. That was just what you did. You were supposed to do. I didn't mind it. I didn't love it. But then, you know, here a few years ago, I started running just to, like I said, build some bone density back up. And somewhere along the way, I started liking it and uh, started entering races. And, 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 and that just has become sort of my thing, especially in the off season. I can't really do it as much during the, the busy season, during the market gardening season, because, you know, all the races are on Saturdays and I have farmers market Saturday mornings. But, you know, in the off season, November through, you know, March, I'm I'm racing a lot of the weekends. And uh, yeah, those are my medals for for my races. In fact, I'm running my first marathon this coming Saturday. So, so that's exciting. It is. It is very into what runners say they get mentally out of running. But as someone who despises the actual running part. How long did you have to run before you started finding any part of it enjoyable? It was at least a year. No, it was at least a year. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, I think my motivation initially was, yeah, I'm doing this because it's good for me, you know, and I, I've always been athletic, but running was not my thing. I love weight training. I love sports. I played volleyball and soccer and, you know, softball and all this kinds of stuff, but, you know, running wasn't, I always was that one, you know, on the softball team where the coach would look at me and go like, why, why can't you get to the bases faster? You've got long legs. I'm like, look, I don't sprint. I, I discovered along the way that I am not that fast 5k racer. I do it because it's a short distance and it's a fun race, but I am a long distance runner. I can keep an even pace. And I think that was when I figured out that running could be good and running could be fun. Besides the mental aspect of it, you know, it was just like, okay, find your pace, find your happy pace. And if you can just maintain that pace, you know, nobody said you have to be fast at it. You know, it's, it's for you. It's not for anybody else. And I think that was where I finally was like, oh, this, I can enjoy this. Yeah. So how did you first get your start in the ag and how has your business grown over the years? So I, 
my husband and I are accidental farmers is, is really what it is. We were both in the Marine Corps. I was retired due to medical reasons. He was still on active duty. I started a, a little garden in the corner of our backyard in, you know, our suburban home. Always wanted to have a little bit more in the way of land, mostly for the animals. I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was growing up. Everything was about the animals. Gardening came later, you know, and so I wanted a piece of property. I wanted to be able to have some chickens and, you know, we had a bunch of kids and I thought, okay, great. You know, I can, you know, at least have my own eggs. And so we moved to a five acre plot. And the first thing that I did was we moved the shed that was in our backyard in our suburban house out to the five acres and intended it to be the chicken coop. And that was the, the first thing that I did was I fenced in an area and I got chickens and then we expanded the garden and, and then expanded the myriad of animals that we had. It went from chickens to, okay, now we're doing meat birds and then we're doing turkeys. Cause I might as well grow my own, you know, Thanksgiving Turkey. Right. And then the boys brought home some pygmy goats and then we got cattle and then we got goats and guineas. And we had every, if it didn't have to be shorn, we didn't do sheep. We didn't do alpaca or anything like that. But it, other than that, we had pretty much everything on that little five acre place. And when I started the garden that first year, our garden was fantastic. I mean, it was, just, it was, it was insane. The amount of food that we had coming out of this like half acre plot. And we had friends coming over every weekend and we're like, cooking for everybody and then sending them home with stuff. And I learned how to can, I learned how to freeze. And we're like, okay, great. This is a little, our little homestead. That was the only thing that we ever thought that we were going to do. This is just going to be for us. This is to provide for ourselves. And at the time I had started my own small business management company out of my house after I, you know, was retired from the Marine Corps because I knew I couldn't work for somebody else. And so I was working for myself and I was sitting in my office and I'd be on the computer and I found myself just staring out the window, wishing that I was outside, not sitting on the computer. And it was my own company. You know, I'm like, I, I, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be enjoying this. And I did enjoy the work, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. And so that little nagging thought started creeping in the back of my head of, well, how can I make some money from that garden? How can I make some money from these animals? You know, can I at least do, you know, something on the side that might contribute to, you know, the household income? And so I can like maybe drop one or two of my, my clients and spend a little bit more time outside. And so I, I started looking, you know, online for, for ideas and came across the the idea of a community supported agriculture program or a CSA, which everybody now knows what a CSA is from those part. But, you know, this was 2007 that I was, you know, doing this, this search. Nobody knew what the heck that was in the Midwest. Anyway, it was an East coast, West coast. And I thought, well, okay, we might be able to do, let's try this. Let's see if this works. And it has continued since then, <laughs> you know, it was 15 members that first year and selling the extra at farmer's market. And eventually we got up to 75 members, moved from the five acres to 40 acres, a myriad of changes across the years focusing, you know, okay, we, we stopped doing beef. We focused on the pork and it's just, it's evolved. It has evolved over the last 15, 16 years into, into what it is now. I wonder if it's better or worse. It seems like folks who aren't generational farmers come into it one of two ways that either they're like, I'm going to raise 60 acres of vegetables by myself and, you know, be totally self-sufficient and make $200,000 a year and it's going to be great. And I'm like, hmm, uh-huh. 
or there's folks who, you know, they start with three chickens and it's just going to be the chickens. And before you know it, they've got a 200 member CSA and they've got 40 acres and, you know. Yeah. So I yeah. Which I think if you're, if okay. you're smart enough to research it ahead of time, you're not going to be that person who says, oh, I'm going to raise 60 acres of vegetable by myself because you're going to very quickly realize that that is not feasible, you know, but if you, and I, we were sort of like halfway in between, like I read a lot, but it was mostly about the livestock care. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a single freaking gardening book in my collection when I decided that I was going to grow food for other people. Like, you know, and that first year garden had done so well. I had this set of false confidence of, oh, well, this is easy. What's everybody complaining about? This is easy. You know, well, of course it was easy. I was planting into what used to be cattle pasture. It was so fertile. I could have thrown anything out there and it would have grown at least once, which is what it did. You know, and then that second year when we actually were growing for other people, it did well. It didn't did as exceedingly well as it did the year before. And then the third year, uh-oh, wait, I've got weeds coming up now. Oh, wait, I've got these insect pests now. Wait, what is this plant disease? And then I had to start researching that part of the farm. You know, I had all the livestock stuff down by that point. I'd figured a lot of that out. Now I needed to go, oh, oh, wait, you have to put stuff back into the soil to get it to keep growing. Oh, I can't. Oh, all right. I can't plant the same thing three years in a row and expect that it's going to happen. It, you know, all that stuff started to come out. And that was when I really started to figure out, you know, the, the soil health and, and all the different, you know, crop rotation and that kind of stuff. And that, that part I had not researched. So if I had done my research before that, I might have moved a little bit more slowly into creating the farm business. But I think, you know, we, we got lucky. I mean, honestly, we just got lucky that it wasn't a complete disaster that, that first year. And that gave us the confidence to continue moving forward. And of course, I mean, we've made a crap ton of mistakes along the way, but a lot of the time, I mean, that's the only way that you learn, you know, I mean, just like kids, it's, you know, they, they got to figure it out on their own, you know, so do we. I feel like this is where you really see the importance of community and mentorship for new farmers too, is the helping judge if your really good success or your really horrible year is just shit happens, or if it's something you're doing. You know, because I think it's really easy to have a great year and be like, I'm the best farmer ever. And then all hell breaks loose. And you're like, hmm, you know, and it's really easy to get totally discouraged by the fact that shit goes wrong. And, you know, I I feel like it, it feels bad to say, but the more I see farmers who've been doing this for 50, 60 years, who still have years that are just terrible, makes it easier for for the rest of us to stay in it because it's not a, a personal failing. It's just a shit happens. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And having some sort of community that you can just at least commiserate with, you know, uh, we, we were lucky here that there was a group, the Kansas city food circle at the time that was, it was very loosely organized. It got better later on down the road, but at least it was a, a community of growers who were small growers like us who were using organic practices. Um, and we could exchange ideas and they, they, you know, we'd do some promotion and do an expo here and there to kind of introduce people to, you know, a more sustainable way, you know, of, of growing things. And so we had a little bit of that community. And then of course, once we started to move more into online, you get 
more of the community also, you know, where you can reach out to people online or you at least get to see what it is that they're doing. And when they complain about something happening, you kind of go, oh, I'm so sorry for you, but thank God I'm not the only one, you know, like that's it. I totally get that, you know, community is a, is a big, it's a big part of it for sure. So you talked about how your business has changed over the years. So what does it look like now in terms of, are you doing one farmer's markets, a few, do you do any farm gate sales? What does your current business model look like? Yeah, we, we are kind of in the process of trying to figure out how to scale back a little bit. You know, I mean, like I mentioned, we don't have any kids left on the farm and the kids, you know, were a part of the farm business when we first started. And we absolutely overextended ourselves, even with the help of the kids, you know, in the early years. Once you sort of make that leap from this is a side gig to this is my job, this is my livelihood. Unfortunately, you get stuck in that mindset of, well, this has to happen. I have no choice. I have to do X, Y, and Z. I have to sell it at many markets as I can. I have to expand my CSA as big as it can be. And that can absolutely lead to being completely freaking burned out, especially for somebody who had chronic illness. You know, I was overextending myself and not sleeping. And, you know, it was taking its toll on me. It was taking its toll on the kids and, and, you know, my husband and, and him feeling like he had to take care of me. And it was just, it was ridiculous. You know, some of that, that, you know, those chronic problems were fixed eventually, but, you know, at one point we had 75 members in the CSA, we were attending five different farmers markets across three days of the week. And of course, you know, when you're going to that many farmers markets, it's not like you're just, it's just the four hours that you're at the market, you know, it's the preparation beforehand, the getting there, the setting up, the selling, the breaking down, the getting home. I don't care if it's a morning market or an evening market, whatever, it's your entire day. There's not a whole lot else happening in and around those market days. So if you're at a farmer's market three or four days out of the week, it doesn't leave a whole lot of time to be doing the growing, not to mention the admin stuff and the marketing and all the other kind of stuff that goes along with it. And that led to, you know, working until two, two o'clock in the morning, catching an hour or two's worth of sleep and getting back up again to load for market, which is just ridiculous for anybody. So now, and like I said, especially because, you know, the kids are gone, we have focused a little bit more on let's do more with less. Let's, you know, focus on the couple of farmers markets that we really enjoy going to and those people that we connect with the most at those markets and increase our sales at those markets versus spreading ourselves across the week more so and and trying to garner sales that way you know let's let's pare down maybe the number of intense crops that we plant and just focus on increasing the yield from those plants so where we're getting the same amount but it's less work so right now we we've actually reduced the size of the csa we backed it off to 50 members and we're really only allowing people who were in the CSA the past couple of years to re-sign up. We haven't opened it up to new registration. And then, you know, I am only doing one farmer's market a week. 
And that's my Saturday morning market. But that is actually our biggest market as far in terms of income is concerned. My husband does two. He does one on Wednesday evenings because it's our small hometown market. And we just feel an obligation to actually attend that one. And then he does another one on Saturday mornings. And then we do, thanks, thanks to the pandemic, we added a home delivery to the farm because, I mean, you know, 2020, our farmer's markets weren't going to open. We knew that. And so we had to really quickly pivot over to online orders for home delivery. And we've stuck with that. So now not only do our CSAers not pick up at the market, we actually drop it off at their house. We also take additional orders that we deliver. And we've, we've pared that down to a one day a week schedule so that we can focus the rest of the time on, on being here and, and improving you know, our crops and stuff to make it to where it's, it's, it's a little bit easier for us to manage and we still get to take some time, you know, to ourselves and actually get some sleep and (laughs) shocking and eat a real meal and, you know, not rely on frozen. It's really sad when you're an organic farmer and you're growing all of these veggies and this pork and these eggs, and you're sitting down three nights a week eating frozen pizza because it's nine 30 at night and you haven't cooked anything. So yeah. we're trying yeah, to avoid face, that. You can't face washing any more vegetables at that point. <laughs> no, no, no. So that yeah. makes so a that's lot of sense. But I'm sure that, that that process of of ramping up and then scaling back, you know, especially, you know, saying no to people and saying, you know, no, we're already full, you know, when when you want to provide food for people, but yeah, you you have to know your own limits and, and what you're you're willing and able to actually produce too. Yeah. And I think that was, I mean, that it was, it was super easy for us to kind of grow the program because the first, you know, people, we were one of the first ones in the area to do it, but then, you know, once people started to kind of catch on to what it is, I mean, we have a waiting list. We've had a waiting list for 10 years and it, I, I hate it because I want everybody to have the opportunity to be involved. And, but again, like you said, you have to know your own limitations, you know, and, and of course, during all of this, I decide, oh, you know what? I want to do a podcast. Let's go ahead and do that. Oh yeah, let's add garden consulting to it, you know? Because somewhere in there, I went back to school and got my horticulture degree. And then I was like, well, yeah, right. You know, because type A personality, no. And it it was like, well, what am I going to do with this degree now? Like, I mean, it's great. I got this and I have this piece of paper that's, you know, behind me there or whatever. Okay, well, it's helping us. It's helping us in the farm business. That's great. But what else can I do with this? You know, because I see people, I, we have people ask us, all the time at the farm stands. How do I grow this? What do I do with this? You know, I I, help me. I need help. I need help. I need help. And I'm always taking the time to teach people, you know, how to grow their own stuff. And it was just something that I was doing anyway. So I thought, well, heck, you know, a lot, most people don't have time to go through a master gardeners program or take an online course or go spend the money to go and get an actual degree. They just just want to know how to grow a freaking tomato plant, you know? So why don't I do something that can tell them, okay, here's how you grow tomatoes. You don't have to buy a whole book that tells you how to grow everything from A to Z. I'm just going to tell you the things that you want to grow. Here's how to grow tomatoes. Here's how to do lettuce. Here's how to, you know, grow those, you know, carrot divas. And, and there you go, you know? And so that's when the idea of the podcast was born. And I, I didn't, I didn't speak it out into the world. I just kind of kept it tucked away in my brain. I didn't say anything. And then I said one thing about it to my husband and then one to, you know, one of my friends or whatever. And like he usually does when I come up with some crazy idea, he looked at me like I had two heads 
and then proceeded to buy me all the podcasting equipment that I needed for my college graduation gift. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's good to have somebody who supports your crazy. For sure. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he clearly believes in you <laughs> and your voice. Either that or he's just glad that I'm talking to somebody else besides him. <laughs> yeah, maybe that too. I feel like as a farmer too, it's so hard to back away from things that you could do yourself. I know, you know, I can garden quite successfully. I am fairly good with plants. I don't want to. I mean, I do want to, but I've got a four-year-old and a five-year-old and sheep and cattle and a full-time job. I worked with a life coach last year and it was absolutely worth the money just for the time that I was talking about all these things I wanted to do. And she said, well, what are you going to stop doing so you can do this other thing? And I was like, what, what kind of negativity is this? Stop doing mm -hmm. something before I add something else. <laughs> and this spring, just giving myself permission to be like, you know what, I'm going to grow like one container garden of carrots and beets because I like shit that grows underground and it looks like nothing and then you pull it out and it's something cool. I love tomatoes. I don't find them that hard to grow. I don't want to grow them. It's just, yeah, you know, I'd rather pay my friends who love doing this and who are supporting their family and let them do it. And then I can just grow carrots and, you know, things I like. And it's, it is really hard to stop being quite so type a about all the things you could be doing yourself and just let somebody else do it i like that with anything crafty that i see like somebody makes this really cute sign and they're and they're selling it or whatever and i have always been the person that looks at it and goes oh well i can make that well yeah dummy of course you can make that but when in the hell are you going to find the time to yeah. do it are just you pay the person to? the 20 bucks <laughs> and take it home instead of like trying to figure out how to do this yourself there you just it's prioritizing right it's like okay what am what is what is important to me that i know i can do myself and what am i just better off having somebody else do regardless of whether i can do it myself yeah for sure absolutely i'm trying to really refocus one of our motivations myself. for Sorry, Arlene. I'm trying to really refocus it too. Is no, know, this is my opportunity to support a small business and to support someone else's family and their dream instead of doing it all myself. You know, somehow that makes it easier if I'm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm always. I am everybody's biggest cheerleader. Like I, I love. I love what you do, and I'm going to tell the world what it is that you are doing, you know, and it, even if it's not something that I want or enjoy, or I'm going to buy from you, I will totally spread the word because I know there's somebody else out there that's going to want to do it, you know, is going to want to buy it from you. Like, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I, I firmly believe in the whole, you know, cooperation over competition thing, even at the, at the farmer's markets, you know, somebody came up to me Saturday and was looking at some of the cuts of meat and says, well, I just brought some stuff from your competitor over there. I'm like, oh, they're not my competition. Those are my friends. You know, I'm like, I'm so, I'm super glad that you, you know, you bought something from them. If I have something available that looks good to you that they don't have, or that you want to try, you know, by all means, but they're not my competition. You know, I know what I've got and I know who my customers are and I, I know what they have and I support them and they support us. And that's, and we, and we all do better because of it. You know, that, that cutthroat mentality, I can't stand that shit. That, that drives me nuts. You know, we are, we are all better off when we work together, period. Sorry, I'll jump off my soapbox now. That's all right. We'll jump up there with you. 
So you talked a bit about your motivation for starting a podcast and one of ours for starting a podcast was to be a resource to farming families because as you know, raising kids on farms and in agriculture is a huge blessing at times, but also comes with lots of challenges. And so I was just wondering, I know we've talked about the math a little bit, but how old were your kids when you started focusing on the farm being your main source of income? And how did that work with, like you said, you had six, we were all six kids home at that point? Yeah, yeah. The youngest was when we really started to kind of focus on, a, on as a business, I think the youngest was seven and the oldest was 17. And yeah, so, you know, it was house. like, yeah, you know, and it was, you know, okay, well, the 17 year old, the, the two older boys, they jumped in just, I mean, knee deep at first, mostly with the livestock. They loved the livestock part of it. And so they were super happy to be out there messing with the animals and everything else, you know, and the girls a little bit, you know, with, with the horses specifically, you know, maybe not so much the chickens, you know, there, of course I had one rooster that used to like to chase my one daughter around and it was just her, didn't chase anybody else, just chased her. I think he knew that she was scared to death of him. And to this day, she hates, she, she, she hates chickens. I get it. But when it came to like the produce side of it, it was a little bit, it, I think the problem came when we did switch from it being just the family garden to being the family business. And I, and I probably made some missteps along the way with that because it went from the kids were really enjoying being out there, you know, kind of planting their own stuff and picking their own stuff. And Hey, let's go, you know, get the sweet corn and, you know, picking all the sweet corn and, and shucking it out there together because it was going into our freezer and they were getting to roast it and the boys would go out and, you know, just pull it fresh off the, you know, off the stock and, and sit out there and munch on it and then blame it on the raccoons. And, but, you know, picking some lettuce for dinner or whatever, it was, it was a family activity and it was just for us. When it switched over to being a business and there was that aforementioned pressure to make sure that it was done, it became more of a chore. And you know, I, we've always used that word chore. It, it probably wasn't the best choice uh, because it makes it sound like it's something that you have to do that you don't get to do. And so, yeah, there were times when the kids were out there with us, you know, picking lettuce super early in the morning before going to the farmer's market because we didn't have a proper way to store it if we picked it the night before. You know, I mean, out there with lanterns and flashlights at 4.30 in the morning, you know, these kids are out there picking and it's like, <clears throat> that probably was not the best way to approach it. So it was, it was, it was difficult. And, you know, but at, at the same time, they went to the farmer's market with us. They learned customer service. They learned how to count back change, you know, without having to use a calculator. You know, they, they learned a lot of really good life skills out of that. So, you know, do I feel bad that it wasn't always a great experience for them? Absolutely. But, you know, am I, Am I sad that I put them through it? Absolutely not, because they are all, you know, really good at communicating with, they got really good with communicating with adults at a very young age and learning how to sort of stand their ground with somebody and also figuring out the nuances of when somebody was teasing them because they were small, you know, or when they were actually being serious and asking a serious question, you know, and eventually, you know, one of the boys got into growing on his own, he started his own like pepper operation out here. He was growing all the hot peppers and stuff and, and he got into growing, you know, plants and stuff. And then, you know, one of them got into more of the livestock side. So they all kind of found their niche. And then, you know, they all decided that 
it wasn't what they wanted to do. You know, they all went different directions and, and not a one of them is, is, you know, doing anything in agriculture. But I think the experience was really good for them. You know, I mean, yeah, there's things I would have done differently, but I, I, I think the experience was absolutely invaluable to them. Well, I mean, I don't think at the end of the day, probably anyone will say that their parenting journey was exactly the way it should have been, or, you know, that you don't have regrets. So, I mean, I mean, at every stage, we're hopefully teaching them something, right? And it's, it's your life as much as it is there. So, I mean, you were, you were making a living and that's how your family was doing it. So whether, you know, it's okay to have chores because, you know, the family's got to eat too. (laughs) Well, and I think that's, that's the, that's the interesting thing about becoming a farmer and not coming from a farming family. Cause it seems like when, you know, when you grow up in that lifestyle, you know, it's, you're always expected, like from the day that you're walking, you're expected to be out there doing the stuff on the family farm. That's just the way it is, you know? And so as you grow up and you become an adult and your kids are doing it, it's just a generational thing. That's just, that's just the way that it is. It's not, you know, anything unusual, but when you come into it, you know, and you're figuring it out and you've got kids who are suddenly being introduced to this, it's not what they're used to. And it's not, it's like, I think one of the kids at one point was just cussing at me and, you know, said something to the effect of, well, this is your freaking dream. It's not mine. Why am I out here doing this? You know, this is your job. This is not my job, you know? And, and I stopped and thought about that for a second because if, you know, yes, was that providing the livelihood, you know, for our family, was that providing them what they needed? You know, the, yeah. But if I had a job out in town, would I be expecting them to come with me to that job out in town and help me with that job in order to help provide for them? No. So in that instance, it was like, oh, shit, you know, it, is this really what the way this is supposed to be going? And I just had to look at it was farming is a completely different animal from anything else, any other occupation, any other job. If you were to break down what farmers do and give them an hourly pay rate, I think most of them would quit because they would realize they're only making four bucks an hour or whatever it is because of the amount of time that they actually put into producing what they do, you know? And so you can't compare that to an out in town job that has an hourly or a salary or whatever, you know? And so you just have to kind of make that decision of, all right, yeah, nope. You know what? You're absolutely right. This is my dream. This is paying for your school or whatever. And that's just the way it's going to be. Sorry. Yeah. It's a hard balance. I mean, we have kids who are getting older now and are helping out more on the farm and not just the, you know, hanging out in the barn, like they do have actual chores. And I know, you know, every family has to approach it differently, but we've tried to kind of go the route of house chores, you know, quote unquote chores are required because we live in this house together, but farm chores are paid to a certain extent because that is a business and we're, you know, they, they don't get paid, you know, probably market rate or anything, but, but they do get paid for doing a certain amount of their, their farm work because we're trying to, to create some kind of separation between what's family life and what, what is the business that, that we work in. I mean, it's right outside our door, but it's, it's right. Yeah. How to to create that balance. 
Yeah, yeah. And the kids did get, they did get paid for, you know, the work that they did, like when they went to the farmer's market and stuff. And it was like, well, you know, you're not going to get paid for collecting the eggs and, and that kind of thing, because that's part of what we do for ourselves, you know, and I need you to go and, you know, feed the hogs or, or whatever. But, you know, if you're, if you're out harvesting for CSA or you're doing whatever, then yes, you're, you're getting paid and you're going to the farmer's market and, and hustling right alongside me to get this stuff done. You're going to get paid. So yeah, we did make that. We did do that separation too. So I think that's, a good a good point to make is you know what what part of it is this is this is just us living and us you know working together and then what part of it is is the business side of it is a good separation for sure i feel like too with having younger kids i try to focus on some of the benefits that they get from living on the farm that they wouldn't have if we lived in town you know i mean we have kittens everywhere you know my kids are four and five like they're really excited if there's an extra pile of gravel to play in, you know, and that's something they wouldn't have. <laughs> and so we're still at that point of like, you know, look at these great benefits from living on a farm because there is, you know, I've known a lot of farmers who are like, they get into goats real big and then it's the kids chore to take care of them. And I'm like, but it was your passion project to start this. And mm -hmm. yeah, there's a reason your kids are resentful now. You know, you can't just take on new projects and then leave all of the work to your kids. And I think it's a very different thing when the parents are also out there at four o'clock in the morning harvesting lettuce. And it's not just like, go on, kids, go on, out you go. I'm going to sit here and drink coffee and I'll see you in an hour. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and keeping them, you know, engaged, you know, in, in what it is that they're doing and giving them their own, their own projects. I think that helped too. You know, I mean, that, like I said, the boys had, one of the boys was breeding, you know, pygmy goats, and then he was taking them to the sale barn and he was selling them himself. And that was all him. You know, he, he bought the breeders and he raised them and he took care of them. And then he took them to the sale barn and he got the commission off of that. That was 100%, you know, his project, you know, any of the kids that wanted to do anything like that you know they they absolutely were able to have their own thing you know which was i think really key in keeping them kind of interested in what was going on in the farm for sure i think too you can't underestimate what a good education things like farmers market are for kids just in how we communicate with other people because i feel like so many kids never deal with anyone who isn't either family or being paid to be nice to them. You know, if you just send them to school, they're only ever dealing with people who are being paid to be at least fairly decent to them. And they're not dealing with the, you know, the people who are just jackasses because they're jackasses and the people who will make the same joke as the other 300 people you've seen that morning. You know, when I, I had our daughter and I'd take her to farmer's market with me, I started just keeping a tally of how many people asked me how, how, what the price was on her or. Uh, oh, cringe. Uh. I finally, like I made a price sheet and just stuck it to the front of her pack and play because it's like, I can't, I can't with you people. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. My, my kids all from a very early age were able to, to, to talk with and deal with adults pretty much on their own, on their own level, you know, I mean, it was, it, which was great. And it also helped them sort of deal with issues with their peers when they got like into high school a little bit better because they saw it from a different perspective. They weren't in sort of the middle of the, you know, all the, I don't know, back talking bullshit. 
you know, and it was just, and they, they could kind of stand aside and go, you're not behaving like adults. <laughs> it's like, and that, you know, I was, my one daughter was very much about that. She's like, they don't, they just don't, you know, they're not acting right. They don't act like an adult. So I'm like, well, honey, they're not adults. And like, you're not an adult either. I said, you just, you just have been around adults and you see, you know, how people should be conducting themselves. And that's, that's not what your friends or your, you know, your classmates are, are experienced with right now. I said, they're still, they're still learning. They're still growing. You have a little bit of an advantage at that. You know, and so it it definitely it made a huge difference with them in, in being able to to deal with people. So yeah, and those yeah those incessant you know jokes that are said over and over and over again. Even the kids after a while would just look at me and go seriously, <laughs> like yeah, be polite, <laughs> be polite, please. Well, and I think it's so good for kids' self respect too to have to, especially you know like your son selling goats, to have to deal with adults and to have to have enough self-agency to say you know you can't take advantage of me and lowball me just because i'm younger that's not yep how this works and it's really good for kids to learn how to not get screwed over you know the younger yeah. you oh, yeah. learn it the less the more practice you get at not getting taken advantage of Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was a, that was a huge thing, you know, I mean, especially when, or, you know, even being at the farmer's market and if I'm over here on another side, you know, talking to a customer or helping somebody, you know, some of these people would have the audacity to, whether they were joking or not, you know, say, oh, well, you know, can't you give me a better price on that? And you're saying that to an eight or nine or 10 year old, you know, and my kids were like, no, they're $3 a pound. Like that's, you know, you're not going to, you know, bully me or, or whatever into trying to get you a better price just because my mom's over here and she's not, you know, paying attention to what's going on. You know, they learn to stand their ground with stuff like that. So yeah, absolutely a, an advantage for these kids for sure. So sorry, Arlene's rearranging questions and now I'm not sure anything's gone. You still, you still have the yeah, same mind. I'm still there. Okay. So as a parent of younger children, I'm always a little, you know, looking ahead to what's coming next. As a parent of older children and apparently being a grandparent, which you don't look old enough for, what does parenting look like now that they're gone? And, uh, it's gone. somewhat gone. Yeah. There's always those boomerangs, you know, we've had some move back in and move back out again. And that's, you know, that is what it is. You know, it's, it's interesting because they're all adults, right? And so they're, they're on their own. They're doing their own thing. They have their own families, their own relationships, their own, you know, careers. The youngest just graduated from college last summer. So, you know, she's got a big girl job. She's got a corporate job, you know, and it's like, it's hard to look at your kids sometimes and, and not see them still as like being in junior high or high school or even elementary school, you know, and knowing that they've got their own thing. But, you know, the relationship as they age changes from always being the one to give them direction to sort of just being the one to listen as to, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and vent to me. And I, and I don't necessarily need to offer you advice. I can just be a sounding board for you to be able to figure it out on your own. If you want my advice, by all means, I will give it to you, but ask me, I'm not going to give you unsolicited advice. And I think some of that, you know, is like, okay, let's look back on, on what we liked and didn't like about our relationship with our own parents. And let's see if we can do better. It doesn't always work. You know, and, and, you know, each kid, I mean, you know, every kid has, they have their own unique personality and their own quirks and their own way of approaching things. And so my approach with each one of them has to be different 
You know, I mean, one, one will come and tell me things and totally expect that I'm going to give advice to help fix it. And then another will come to me and, you know, just want, like I said, a sounding board and, and be able to figure it out on their own. And so, you know, with them, I literally being adults now, it's just, it's, it's even the one who's 30, I still look at them as like, you know, do you need help with this? Can I help you with that? Can I, that's the, that's the mom in me is like, please let me come help you. Please let me fix this for you. Let me, you know, and I just have to, I have to be, I have to show restraint and go, nope, uh-uh. they're adults. They got to figure it out on their own. And if they need my help, they will come find me. So and with the grandkids, it's, it's just, it's fun because look, I'm not that Nana. Okay. I'm not that Nana. That's going to, you know, spoil the crap out of you when you come over. I am that Nana. That's going to tell you, no, don't touch that. No, you're not supposed to act. Don't you dare talk to your mother that way. Like that's me. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to coddle you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fill you full of sugar. I am super happy to have you here, play with you, enjoy some time with you and then send you the hell home because I, that's it. I did my kids. I, I, you know, I, I'm over it. You, I will enjoy your company, but I am not going to, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm just not that Nana. I can't be that Nana. So that's all right. It's good to have boundaries in all, all stages of life, right? Exactly. Even with your adorable grandchildren. And with my adorable kids. Yes. <sighs> so one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show today was to talk about gardening with kids. And I know I listened to you have a whole episode of your podcast on that topic. So we're going to suggest that people go listen to that one. But do you have a few of your top tips for gardening with little ones or with older kids, getting kids interested in growing their own food? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is finding ways to keep them engaged and to make sure that the tasks that you're assigning them or assigning them, the tasks that they're given are fit with their age and their personality. So, you know, if, like I said, with my son, with the goats or whatever, and, and with, you know, growing peppers or doing their own, even the littlest ones, you know, with the, with the grandkids out here in the gardens and stuff can do something. It's just like household chores at that age you know, they, it's, it's each stage as they go, there's different tasks that they can manage to do. When they're a toddler, they just may be happy just being out there and digging in the dirt. They just want to play with the dirt. Maybe they want to eat the dirt, whatever, you know, which is fine. Give them their own little set of tools and give them their own little pot or, or raised bed or whatever that they have. It doesn't even have to have anything planted in it. If they're just happy being out there while you're doing your gardening and they have their spot, that they can dig in and make mud pies and, you know, whatever, then good, great mission accomplished. You've got them out there and they understand that there's stuff to do in the garden. And then as they get a little bit older, it's like, all right, well, this is your garden. What do you want to plant? You know, what, what do you want to, what do you want to grow? Usually it's, you know, their favorite thing. If they love carrots, you know, you plant, you plant some carrots, you know, if you like cherry tomatoes, give them a cherry tomato plant, <clears throat> you know, and with the understanding that, you know, that as the adult, you're probably the one who's going to be doing the majority of the work, but they're getting in there and they're getting their hands dirty. And if it's something that they enjoy eating, it's something that they will more be more likely to enjoy growing and vice versa. You know, if you're having trouble getting them to eat broccoli, let them help you grow some broccoli and then throw it on their plate. You'll be really surprised if they're the one that picks the broccoli that they might actually eat it too, you know? And, and then as they, as they go, you know, see what you can do about tying in the stuff that they're doing out in the garden into the other stuff. You know, this works especially well for that, you know, 
four to seven or eight year range, you know, when they, when they're outside doing something and they're seeing, you know, the sweet peas that they're growing or they're seeing the lettuce or whatever. And then you also bring them in and, you know, while they're having their, their coloring time or whatever, you give them some coloring sheets that relate to those veggies and stuff that you're, that you're growing in the garden, you know, TV shows, videos, you know, books, all that stuff that kind of ties it all in. So they're sort of immersed in it. Homeschooling families have this like on point, like they already get that, you know, any, any curriculum or whatever that they're doing, they're involving that, that subject in everything that they're doing throughout, throughout the day. And, and so I think we can take lessons from, from that of, yeah, you know, if you, if you really want them to be out there in the garden with you, then also remind them of those things, because then they start to put two and two together, you know, it's even the, even the littlest ones, the toddlers, you know, you see these, was it veggie tales or something that used to, that used to be on and, you know, point to that and go, Oh, carrot, you know, and they're like, Oh, we have, we have those in our garden, you know, like they'll, they'll start to, to get that correlation and they'll be more likely to enjoy being out there. But the biggest thing is just have patience with it. You know, there, you're, it's, it's, you're still doing an activity with a child. We all know that that can go horribly, horribly wrong. So, you know, if they're, if they just don't have an interest at the moment, it's okay. Don't, don't force them. I think that is probably the biggest thing, you know, don't, don't force them to be out there if they don't want to be, but you can create an expectation of this is garden time. Whether you're actively doing the gardening with me or not, we are going to be in the garden. So here's your spot. Do with it what you want. You know, give them a place to sit, give them, you know, plant markers to decorate or color, you know, or like I said, just give them that pot that they can dig in while you're doing your stuff. Now, as they get older, they absolutely, you know, can have their own their own space and, and their own activities. And you, you might end up with a kid that decides that they want to grow their own thing to sell out of the house, you know, to sell on this, on the roadside stand or whatever it's, it's, which is really cool, but you know, some kids just, they just, they just lose interest. It's not what they want to be doing. They're just, just not their thing. And that's okay. You know, like I said, every kid has their own personality and some of them, some of them love it and some of them hate it. And I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't force it. That's, that's the big thing. As a type A person myself, the, the amount of reminding myself I have to do that what I am trying to teach my kids is to want to be helpful and to want to do a good job rather than are they actually doing a good job right now and actually being helpful, you know, because my kids are little. And it's the the girl child the other day, you know, they have a toy cleaning set and it has a, you know, a string mop. And my daughter was mopping the kitchen floor. And I thought, well, that's so helpful. And then I thought, where is she getting water to mop the floor? Thankfully, it was not the toilet, which was my first. Was the first thing I was thinking. I'm like, oh, no. I'm not a germaphobe, but if she had mopped my whole floor with toilet water, we would have had to burn the house down and just start over. No, she was using the dog bowl, which... It's a oh better well, toilet water. Yeah. You know, but I'll admit that I was so proud that she wanted to help and that she mm -hmm. knew what the steps were for cleaning a floor. I mean, she's five; it doesn't matter if she knows how to mop a floor correctly. You know, that wanting to be useful is the important part, and the what they do, 
where they go in life to apply that usefulness, whatever. You know, that's why we have so many different jobs and so many different people and places because everybody's going. Yeah. It's, you know, they're really good at mimicking, you know, and, and so if, you know, to go along with that, you know, making a schedule of being, you know, this is our garden time or whatever. I mean, even if they're not actively doing something, they're seeing you out there doing that gardening, you know, and I really think that a lot of kids, there's, there's sort of this generational gap right now between, you know, adults who have gardened and who, or even if they haven't gardened, have an understanding of where their food came from. And then there's a sort of generation where there's not a clue. There is not a clue about how that egg got to the into that carton and into the back of the grocery store. There is not a clue about where that produce was grown that's in the grocery store. It just magically appears there and we go and we pick it up and we take it home, we cook with it, or we have somebody else cook it for us, whatever. And then there's the younger generation now where, you know, you've got people sort of going back to let's garden and let's at least have an idea of where our food is coming from. And so the younger generation hopefully now is starting to pick back up on that. And I'm a firm believer of, yeah, you should know where your food is coming from and that there is power in food and figuring out where that comes from and how you can provide even just one little thing for yourself. There is, there is sort of a sense of empowerment in that, even if it's just a, you know, a pot of, of herbs on your kitchen windowsill, you can say, oh, I grew that and you can throw it on your plate. And I think the more we do that as adults, our kids are going to see that and they're going to start to mimic that. And even if they don't enjoy it, they at least have an understanding you know, when, when they grow up of, okay, well that that's where food comes from. You know, it's grown in the dirt, it's grown in the ground. It's not manufactured in some, well, okay. A lot of it is manufactured in some facility, but the good stuff is not manufactured in some facility somewhere. And that's it. You know, if we can at least just expose them to it and I get the whole, you know, the type A personality, it took me longer than I'd like to admit to be that person who can just accept help with something and not go back and correct it later, you know, and like allow somebody to give me some help and not be like hovering over them going, that's not how it's done, you know? And so that's the, the mentality that you absolutely have to adopt with kids in the garden because yeah, you just planted all of those lettuce plants and now they've come behind you and they're pulling them all back out of the ground because that's what's, that's what you do in the garden, right? <laughs> they're harvesting, you planted, now I'm picking it. And that's, that's, that's where a lot of patience comes in, which is no different than anything else that a toddler is, is doing in their life. So the same thing has to translate into the garden for sure. So what are some of your goals coming up for the farm and for the Just Grow Something podcast? I think the overarching goal for the farm right now is, you know, what I talked about earlier, which was sort of, you know, smarter, work smarter, not harder, you know, and, and get the same results with, with less, less time and less effort. And which also clears the way for me to do more with the podcast you know, and with doing, I would love my, I would really love, this is like my grand, you know, look up to the future or whatever. I would love to have some demonstration gardens on the farm where I can bring some people out and teach them, you know, how to grow and, and do it in small segments and classes where, you know, it's not one giant master gardener class. It's this, this one class is going to deal with starting your seeds indoors. 
because if you struggle with that here, let me show you how to do that, you know, and then, okay, well, we're also going to do something about hardening them off and transplanting them, you know, and if you've got that part down, well, you don't have to come to that class, you know, and then move on. To, and so do that, the same thing that, you know, I sort of try to do with the podcast is break it down into manageable size chunks for people so they can pick and choose, you know, what they, what they need to know and what they want to learn. I would love to be able to get to that point. And it's sort of, that's sort of on the grand plan. This place is a hot freaking mess and I'm not bringing anybody out here. This is not one of those agritourism farms. My husband is a slob. He will admit it. He knows it. <laughs> I, I have to walk through the house and pick up after him. And I have to do the same thing out on the farm. And at some point I just said, I'm not doing it anymore. And hence the piles have started. You hear the Sanford and Son theme song when you drive up my driveway. And for those of you who don't know what that is, go look it up. I'm just telling you. And so it would involve some cleaning up and and some zhuzhing here and there. But that is really what I would like to do. And also be able to do that virtually too. I mean, if you're not, you know, local to me, I'd love to be able to have these demonstration gardens and record those classes and then put them online for people so that they can, you know, go through it virtually with me. Because I just don't think that there, you can't have too much information at your disposal, you know, and I, and, but unfortunately, sometimes you have to dig for it. And so if I can make it a little bit easier for somebody to not have to dig for it and just throw it out there for them, then that's what I'm all about right now. That's what I would love to do for people. Well, and I think it's so great too, as someone who would love to do the master gardener class and has gotten information and almost signed up God knows how many times and thankfully stopped myself every year. I don't have the time or the brain capacity for a huge long class. I do sometimes have the brain capacity for an hour long class about starting seeds or, you know, this little thing or that little thing. And I think too, getting content from someone who's not trying to sell you anything besides you know, the content itself, which charging for content development is absolutely a valid, useful thing. But there's so many things that, you know, you learn about this and then you see at the bottom, you know, sponsored by Miracle Grow. You're like, well, now how unbiased was any of what I just read? Because, you know, whatever. It's hard not to question things when you see that everything is sponsored by somebody. Yeah. So we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at a county fair, real or made up, what would it be? I think mine would absolutely be the made up category of overplanning. I am just, I love, I love planning stuff. I like, you should see my garden plans. Like it is, it's graph paper and it's calendars and it's dates and it's spacing and it's all, it's all this stuff and it's, and I love it. And I, and I, you know, I do that with a lot of things. You know, I did that with my podcast. I was like, plan, 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 plan. Let me figure this out. Let me, but at some point you just have to do it. Like, okay, you planned it all. Now let's execute this, you know? And unfortunately, you know, especially living on a farm, shit does not always go according to plan. So, the and I paper think, looks so pretty. And look how perfectly spaced everything was. And why doesn't it look like this in real life? Yeah. And I think that's why I'm such a planner because I can control that part of it. I can control the plan. I can control the minutia, you know, but once I get out there in the garden, there ain't, there ain't shit I can do about it, you know? And so that's, that, you know, that, so that I would win. I would, I would demolish the over planning category for sure. Hands down. 
That is, that is a good one. I do like a good spreadsheet myself. Katie knows that. <clears throat> I I really like to plan, but I like to get about 60% into it and then I get tired of it and then I just go ahead and do whatever I was going to do. So it's good to have someone who can see the spreadsheet through to its completion. <laughs> um, and refer back to it now and then. Yeah. yeah. I'm more about sticky notes than spreadsheets. <laughs> yes, but, for sure. Oh, no. So we're going to move into our cussing and discussing segment of the podcast. We recently registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe, where you can leave your cussing and discussing entries for us and we'll play them on the show. So go to www.speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language and leave us a voice memo, or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we can read it out for you. Katie, what are you going to cuss or discuss this week? So with the four-year-old and the five-year-old, I'm going to cuss and discuss children's shoes. The, the girl child has been complaining that there's things in her shoes hurting her toes for a while. And, you know, there's frequently corn cobs and toys and dog food, whatever in her shoes. Popcorn so kernels. I, whatever, you know. And it's really great. She started reciting what falls out of her boots when I tip them over and smack them to make stuff fall out. And that's... That's always fun. So she's been saying this for a while, and I finally occurred to me that maybe her feet have grown. I had bought their winter boots like two sizes too big several years ago because, you know, they're wearing thick socks and they were just learning to walk anyway, so they just fall over a lot, you know. Turns out she's outgrown all her shoes, but she didn't know how to tell me that her shoes were too tight, so she just kept saying there was something in them. And <laughs> So you keep what, shaking them. Yeah. And, uh, turned out they were her toes. Yes, her <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah. And, I just, and now I'm looking at like, do I spend more money and buy better shoes and hope they hold up longer? Or do I buy cheap shoes and just accept that they're going to be dead in a week? Or, I mean, it's oh, knock on wood almost summer, so they'll be barefoot for three months anyway. Our kids are like totally little house on their prairie, like one pair of shoes for school in the fall you know, barefoot all summer, but I had no idea that it would be such a thing to buy shoes. I feel like the farm answer is always just buy cheap and buy a few pairs because they're going to be stuck in the mud somewhere or the pair that you think are going to be for school end up in the barn and then the treads are full of manure and then you have to switch to another pair of shoes anyway. So, Well, I think maybe it was different when we were younger and there were shoe stores and you could like take them in and somebody else would be in charge of figuring out what they needed and now it's just like i'm gonna order 10 pairs online and hope that something works you know? mm. <laughs> anyway karen what do you have to cuss and discuss this week you know this is it's it's an interesting problem to have anybody who lives in a rural area you know at least for us anyway being privileged enough to have natural gas as your fuel source is very rare most people have to suffer through propane tanks you know and that's what we were like on the five acre farm we had that you know 500 gallon propane tank that had to be filled up minimum of 200 gallons and the year that it was for something a gallon we almost went without heat in the house I mean it was just it was bad so when we moved to the 40 acres we were pleasantly surprised to figure out that we have natural gas the reason we have natural gas is because the main pipeline runs through our property and so there's easement on either side of that. And then there's like the sort of main that's right there. So, and anybody who has natural gas knows that they, or maybe you don't know, they add, add a scent canister 
to that main to give natural gas a scent so that you can tell if you have a leak because it doesn't actually have a smell to it. And so they add this scent to it, which kind of smells like a combination of like, you know, sulfur or rotten eggs or, you know, maybe something else. I don't know, which is fine. You know, if you live in town and you're on natural gas, hey, we want you to know you have a leak. But when your house is the first stop after that scent canister and they come out and replace it about every two to three years. Oh, holy hell. That first few months, I mean, it's going to be four to six months before that smell dissipates. So every time I turn on my stove or I go down in the basement and the water heater has kicked on, I am getting just this acrid sulfur rotten egg smell. Like every time I cook, it gives me an instant headache. It drives, I just, oh, my husband will go to start this. I'll be on the opposite side of the house and he starts the stove and I'm like, So I guess my, I have to pay for the privilege of having natural gas out in the country by dealing with that shit for four to six months before it finally dissipates enough to where it doesn't smack me in the face every time I go to cook a freaking egg. So that's, that's my cussing. Yeah. It's awful. Just just thinking you're not having that like, oh, smells like supper's ready. It's like, no, smells disgusting. Turn it off as fast as you can. It's so bad. It's so bad. I did not know that was a thing. Well, I mean, I knew about no, it. Neither did I. I did not know yeah. that was a thing either until we moved out here and there's the gas company showed up. Oh, we got to change the canister. I'm like, what? What? You got to change what? And then they did the first time they did it. I was like, there's something wrong. I'm like, we have to have a gas leak. Yeah, gas it's, is there, leaking is everywhere. It's leaking everywhere. There's something wrong. And they're like, no, no, it'll, it, you're just the first stop. I mean, because it's right there. You know, you're just the first stop on the way. I'm like, oh, this is something I'm going to have to do. Okay, cool. Cool. <laughs> oh, well. What are you cussing early? So I'm actually going to do a discussing this week. Since I'm talking with Karen, we met through the Positively Farming Media Mastermind, which is a group of podcasters who are in the farm and agriculture world. And it's been a great way to encourage and support each other and meet other podcasters. But the thing I want to promote to our listeners is if you are someone who listens to your podcasts on Spotify, we actually have a Positively Farming Media playlist and you can listen to Barnyard Language and Just Grow Something and a bunch of other podcasts who are also part of Positively Farming Media all in one playlist. So you should go to Spotify and search for that Positively Farming Media playlist and then you can listen to all of us and all of our great shows about things about agriculture and food and gardening and all that kind of stuff. So here, here. My, it's a great group of podcasts. Yes, yes. So on that note, Katie and I would like to thank you, Karen, for joining us today. Where can listeners find you on social media, find your podcast, find your farm, all that kind of stuff? Where should we look? Thank you guys for having me because this was super fun. This was a great conversation. People can follow the farm. It's Wolf Creek Family Farm. And that's the Instagram handle, the Facebook handle, and our .com. And then for the podcast is Just Grow Something Podcast. You can find it on your favorite platform. You can listen directly from the website, justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. And uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok as Just Grow Something Podcast. So, yeah. Perfect. 
All right, so listeners, thank you for joining us here today on Barnyard Language. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language. And on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farm families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. Patreon is a service where you commit to making a small monthly donation, which goes towards the making of this podcast. We would love it if you would become a patron. Go to patreon.com backslash barnyard language to support this show. We're always in search of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch.